Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. All right, what's up, Wakeman? This is Steven, your host, with another Phantology episode. And I have Josh with me this time. Just uh, just the two of us, right, Josh? Just the two of us, yeah. We uh, Ryan is out sick for the day. Use one of his sick days, I guess, in Phantology. And... <laughs> Yeah. Do we do we get those sick days? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't get the memo. PTO without the uh, with pretty limited P. (laughs) (laughs) As of now, our YouTube channel has gotten monetized, and we've made about sixty cents. So yeah, very exciting news for Phantology. If you're listening, uh, you know we are running a thousand sub competition. Well, not a competition giveaway. We'll say, and the goal was once we got to a thousand subscribers. We were going to draw from people who have commented on recent videos. Every comment on a video gets you an entry. And we're going to run this through the end of the month, even though we've already reached our goal. We're recording now like mid-October. This episode will probably be a few days. But at the end of the month, so in our like November episode, we will draw. So there's still time to enter. If you have not entered or if you want to get more entries in, feel free to comment. Check, us, check out this video on YouTube. If you're listening, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe comment and the winner gets audible and audible credit yes. yes well they get a uh, book gifted to them on audible because you can't actually get audible credits but yes you will tell right. us what book you want we will get the book and gift it to you right so that's a long i guess that's like a really long-winded flex pentology has 1000 subscribers <laughs> i don't know if it's a flex to get a thousand subscribers after two years of pretty continuously <laughs> producing content but it is a nope. milestone that we have achieved. It is a milestone. It is a milestone. <laughs> we have achieved it. We're on to the next milestone. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk Arm of the Sphinx, book two of the Books of Babel by Josiah Bancroft. The fourth book comes out in about three weeks now, and we're going to be current for that one. Um, we have some exciting plans for the, the fourth book coming out soon. So this is kind of a middle book, right? I mean, I mean, obviously it's four books, but uh, this is the second and I, we haven't read the third yet. So we're not sure what that feel will be, but uh, to get started, like how did this book feel to you after, you know, we, we just lavished praise on Senlin Ascends. So how did Arm of the Sphinx then hold up as a, as a sequel? So I, I liked it. I think that I was so blown away by the first one because it was so not what I was expecting that mm-hmm. that charm kind of wore off on the second one um i kind of knew i knew what to expect more i knew the characters more i knew the tone and so that all the pleasant surprises i got reading the first one um all those good things still stayed good but i wasn't as blown away with them in the second one does that make sense good things stayed good you liked the same aspects that you liked in the first book sounds like maybe you were hoping for like a little bit of a reinvention or addition to the yeah, I, I don't know if I wanted it to change. It's just that 
the pleasant surprise that I got going into the first book with it being completely different than I expected and the charm and the wittiness of it. I was already expecting that going into the second one. So it didn't, it didn't have the benefit of that to fall back on. Okay. So it delivered what you were expecting. It's yeah. It's like the second guardians of the galaxy movie. You know, like the first one was just so well done. Like you, you know, delivered mm, this new type yeah. of humor to the Marvel movies and, you know, got kind of wackiness. And then the second one was still good, but it, it didn't have that surprise factor, like going in to watch it. It wasn't as like, uh, oh, I don't know about this. that comparison. I, I didn't like the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie like at all. Oh, really? I, okay. I, well, liked, maybe Arm, Spider-Man, I liked Arm maybe, of the Sphinx. Maybe Marvel Spider-Man just sticking in the MCU universe. Like, yeah, but Far From Home was really good. Like that's one of my favorite MCU movies ever. Yeah, but okay. All right. Fair yeah, enough. I, I okay. see what you're. I see what you're trying to do for sure. Like, uh, the, the analogy maybe doesn't quite stick with me, but yeah, I get the, I get the comparison. All I'm saying is that the novelty has worn off in the second one, and so that okay. a little bit hindered my enjoyment of it. He does some different things with the the second one. Is not all of Senlin's perspective. We get some points of view from the different crew. And if you, there's like some random ones from kind of like one-off point of view characters that are interesting. So I, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Arm of the Sphinx. I'm probably with you. Like Sinlin Ascends was so like groundbreaking, not necessarily groundbreaking, but just like so unique and cool. I thought it was doing so different than a lot of the stuff we had read. So we're like, oh my gosh, this book's amazing. The series continues to be really good, but maybe that like... Novel, yeah, the novelty. Maybe the novel novelty is probably a good word. Yeah, yeah. But overall, yeah, I I do enjoy that it branched out into different perspectives and it got us to know our main crew a little bit better. I think that's one thing I took for granted from the first one is how well it assembled this crew, uh, mm-hmm. kind of organically. You know, like maybe like just kind of every ringdom he went to, he met a new person and they yeah. reappeared later. And I just didn't know if that was. I didn't realize at the time it was him assembling a crew, which um, I think that this was one of my favorite, more, more favorite. That's a terrible way to say it. I think that this was, I appreciate that looking back on the first one even more as the fact that he assembled his crew so well. And then in book two, we really have more time to sit with the crew, learn who these people are in a more intimate way. We get their points of view. We get more things happening to them. So maybe we say book two is like the big character growth book. Mm-hmm. It did. There were times where it certainly felt like a setup, and we were really like settling into the world more. Yeah, I. That's my main criticism going into this. I think that this is going to be hard to justify four books, and we'll see if I still think that after the third book. Mm. But I think that there's a lot of things from this book that maybe could have been cut. Slash, I haven't even started the third book, so I have no idea, like really, what I'm talking about. I guess. Yeah. But it's it's kind of hard for me to believe that the second third book couldn't have been at this point. There are definitely some moments in this book where it really seems like uh, Josiah Bancroft's kind of indulging himself a little bit. Like, especially I'm thinking of when Senlin is first in the library and he's just walking around and like in his thoughts, like he is so in his thoughts for just like yeah. pages and pages. <laughs> There's a lot of pontification going on. Yeah. And it's really well written. Like the writing, it continues to be really good. Yeah. You can tell that he has some background as, as a poet. The writing is just beautiful. There's lots of interesting ideas. Nothing's happening really. Like 
he's going through withdrawals. Yeah. And I feel like we already know Sandlin well enough that that, that maybe something like that could have been applied to a different character. I mean, it wouldn't have been maybe been able to be as poetic, but maybe even if we would have gotten, and I guess this might be spoilers now. So I guess spoilers warning, but maybe if we would have gotten a perspective from the Sphinx with uh, some thought process like that, mm. you know, um, some pontification as it were, Yeah, because uh, we've already gotten a lot of pontification. I'm just using that word so much, but we've already gotten that from Senlin. <laughs> maybe it would have been cool if we had gotten that from, a more of a villain slash gray character slash we don't really know what to make of the sphinx so something right, like that could have right. gone a long way to humanize them slash help us get to know them and build a better character we do get one point of view from the sphinx right at the very end right like the very very end of the book but yeah there's not any like real deep revelation of what she is trying to do necessarily i kind of like the lack of insight there because it it creates this mystery, right? I mean, if we had it laid out for us, then it's not as exciting. That's true. I don't think it needs to go spoil the whole plot. You know, there's a ton of books where you get a viewpoint from the villain and it doesn't reveal that much, but it does. Yeah. I'm thinking like, uh, no spoilers here, but the villain from from Brent Weeks's uh, Lightbringer. Okay. Um, and I don't even want to say his name because I don't want there to be any spoilers, but the the villain from there, we get viewpoints from his perspective and really goes towards yeah, like yeah, building yeah. up this yeah, yep. character. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I know what you're talking about. A villain. I guess there's lots of villains a, yeah, a in, villain. that, in Lightbringer. But yeah. Readers will know which villain I am talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, the book is not that long. I was fine with a few pages of pontification. I thought the yeah. ideas were interesting yeah. for sure. So, and, and very well written. So just maybe a little slow at times, but I mean, that's okay. Like the pacing overall was pretty quick. We were always kind of bouncing around from thing to thing. Yeah. Um, not as many settings, quite as, quite as many settings in this book. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they weren't as novel to me again, but I, I really enjoyed the piracy chapters at the beginning. I thought that that was a cool way to kind of reset going, you know, it kind of made me excited to get back to the tower and learn more about the tower when they were off, uh, kind of just robbing robbing people i enjoyed it but i was like all right let's you know this is cool world building and i'm ready to go keep learning about the tower so you were okay with the pirate you liked the yeah. piracy or you wanted more tower uh, i or, did i thought it was it, both i both i thought it was cool i thought it was a cool way to begin the second book because it made me you know like if we would have just stayed in the tower say from the first to the second book i think i would have been kind of itching to you know see what life was like outside of the tower and this also provided a an insight as to why they couldn't just steal the airship and and it, it felt like at times at the in the first book an airship was just going to solve all of their problems like that's kind of the way that Zenlin viewed it he was like oh i can just yeah. fly right up and grab maria and throw her on the mm-hmm. airship with me and then we can sail back to our home and i can go be the headmaster and da 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 da, da. you know what i mean right. like and this kind of it was like ah eh, no that's not gonna work yeah, they had the airship, but it's just like the crappiest airship out there. <laughs> and things the go stone honestly, cloud. Things that yeah, was the, so great. the stone cloud. Th- things go very poorly on the stone cloud. And this kind of ties into the end when Senlin is essentially demoted as captain. He does like a pretty bad job at being captain. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of times with protagonists, especially like the chosen one protagonist, and not saying that Senlin is necessarily the chosen one but you have the protagonist that you sit with and you see them grow 
you kind of expect them like, okay, their ultimate like character arc is they're going to become this leader. Right. And that that's, they're going to be, people are going to follow them and they're going to inspire, etc. cetera. Sinlin tries to do that, but isn't super successful. I guess. I mean, all things considered, he was pretty successful in terms of the fact that he was like, you know, addicted to drugs without realizing it. Yeah. I, I think if you had been, getting dosed with you know essentially like cocaine or is that what we would like in this drug to probably i guess I, i'd see them more ecstasy, as like maybe maybe like hallucinogenic type thing yeah but it's pretty powerful i mean it's anyway some powerful yeah. hallucinogenic drug okay being like microdosed with it every day driving you to you know have constant i don't know i think all things considered he kept his crew alive when he was he, being yeah he kept them alive by... but he didn't he didn't really inspire them very well like he was just kind of the figurehead edith was really running things the entire time that's true and they just had this trust in him they had this trust in him because he kind of saved the day at the end of the first one but he did he did get them uh out of that uh t- tickle with the uh with the big ship with the, the rats. yeah 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 he yeah. got them out of that through some quick thinking some captainly uh duties and there's a good line that oh who says this i think the sphinx says this towards the end talking i believe talking with edith i might be wrong but he talks about how some people or she i guess the sphinx i'm probably butchering this anyway it's something about how you know there are people who are in in have a lot of ingenuity they're very smart intelligent but then they come to be the leader and they're not very good at being the leader um, and, and so I think that really ties into what you were saying and what I'm trying to say in that he, yes, he was smart and he played a role on the stone cloud, but was he the best choice for a leader? Like, no, clearly Edith was better yeah. and will be better on the, what is it? What is the name of their new ship? It's like the state of art or art, something like that. Something. Some kind of grandiose name. Yeah. Edith's going to be way better. Yeah, and she did deserve to be captain like the entire time, right? There's really no doubt about that. I think she was more. I for, I forget really why. I I thought it was kind of silly at the time, but there was like a reason given that he was the captain, and I was like, okay, I buy it. But looking back, it should have been her the entire. Well, doesn't he just kind of assume command at the end of the first book and all of that action, and then? they escape and he just kind of stays on as captain like de facto almost yeah i thought i remember there being some line that edith said about why she didn't want the leadership position or something like that but mm. looking back it was pretty dumb and i'm glad that going yeah. forward. the yeah. sphinx is able to at least see who the better leader is not that this makes senlin any less of a character i, just, I think it's interesting that our main character our protagonist is like that's not his arc being the leader he has grown in a lot of other ways but like he still doesn't necessarily have the leadership chops and that's okay yeah. different than usual yeah and and a cool arc i i totally agree and it kind of ties back to something that we talked about in the first review of uh sinlin ascends where josiah bancroft had said he doesn't want a hero i think i read this in the like the little afterward after the, the first book some interview that he did he didn't want a hero that just had like hero problems. He wanted a hero that had like real person problems. 
And in this case, like he's not going to be a leader just because the plot wills it to be so like his character is literally like he's not good at leadership and that's okay. That's understandable because he's a real person. So the characters, characters are like low-key really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think the characters are one of probably the stand one of the standout. I don't know. The setting characters and pros are all stand out in this series. That's yeah. what makes it so good. I think it's kind of got that trio going on for it. Yeah. Yeah. The plot is like the plot good, in, is good not... enough to move things yeah. along. But yeah. yeah, it really is the characters, settings, and uh, in pros. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I think I trust Bancroft enough to know that he knows what's going to happen in the plot and that it's mm-hmm. going to be satisfying. But that's not why I'm uh, in love with these books. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're not just sitting here. The first thing out of our mouths when we started talking about the books was not, oh my gosh, what about the painting? Or you know, yeah. who, is the, who is the bricklayer? Like, these are kind of the plot mysteries. And in some books that we review, that's the very first thing we're like, oh my start gosh, theorizing that, that plot thing. Yeah, we theorize. We're like, oh, that twist was crazy. That's not what we did. We started talking about characters and setting. Yeah, because I mean, what really happened in this book? They like made it to the Sphinx and the Sphinx conscripted Senlin yeah. to go be a spy for him. And I mean, that's pretty much it. You know? <laughs> well, you skipped like, over the whole big like, picture. You, you skipped over the whole Golden Zoo, Silk Garden thing with Marat and the Hods. Like that's going to... That's going to be important. We're we, not... we were introduced yeah. to the larger conflict in a little bit. Yes. Yes. There is a larger conflict between Marat and the Sphinx. And, and that is going to be something driving the plot forward. But like that, I don't know. Again, that didn't feel like the mm. point of the book. I mean, I, I wouldn't say the plot is necessarily Marat versus Sphinx. It's like Sphinx versus the tower and the debauchery and all of that, like falling apart. I like the part at the end where he tells Senlin about the bricklayer and that the tower is a bridge and that the bricklayer wasn't able to do it because technology wasn't ready. So Sphinx is trying to kind of make things happen, but now the tower is falling apart. So he needs help. That, that was all kind of cool. And, and I guess Marat represents like the revolutionary faction that, that uh, now Senlin needs to kind of quell to make sure the tower doesn't fall apart before the Sphinx can do what the Sphinx wants to do that's my understanding of where we're going from here i don't know if we trust the sphinx entirely the sphinx definitely has his or her own purpose throughout this yeah you know and obviously is not being totally forthright with senlin speaking of the fact that she only knew where uh, mario was like 10 months ago i think it's like a violation of that contract that they made i know that they said that she would tell him everything she knew mm-hmm. about it about her but the implication was that she had real valuable information right and could take him right to her and then like nothing beyond what he already knew pretty much seems but seems sus that's kind of the point of the contract right you're fulfilling the letter of the law but not the spirit of the law that's yeah but that's did. right but but the sphinx was not you know happy with it like she the sphinx did not see that as honorable she saw that as like conniving but not as like what the contract was there for yeah i mean maybe that's on sinlin for not saying like i require information within the past month or something yeah and we got that perspective i speaking of i thought you know what actually actually she she lied right she said within the past 10 months but then she had the recording from the from the butterfly of maria having a child so the sphinx lied to him huh yeah, I, I guess I didn't put that together. Yeah. I mean, I, 
yeah I just connected that as well just I just barely finished the book like 30 minutes ago in all honesty so I'm just kind of sitting with some things still yeah so the Sphinx broke the contract and Senlin is probably going to find this out at some point yeah maybe I don't know will Senlin know what the Sphinx knew so I I I don't know if I didn't if this was more obvious but is do we think that this is Senlin's baby um maybe but he hadn't no 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 because he hadn't seen her for almost a year is what he says has it been two years already no one year he says there's a there's a bit where he says he hasn't seen maria it's almost been a year since he last saw her yeah so if they got pregnant like right before she went into the tower then it would be oh so the recording oh the recording might be old yeah might be yeah 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 that's right we don't know how old the recording is hmm yeah where it would have to have been within 10 months Right. So how do we piece this timeline together? So if Senlin, if it was Senlin's child, then Maria would have needed to be pregnant one year ago, which means like Senlin wouldn't have known she was pregnant or obviously would have been a big thing. She might not have known she was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But then that would have been several months in. So if it was Senlin's child, the Sphinx for sure lied is what we're concluding, right? Well, the Sphinx lied either way because Senlin, if it was only 10 months ago, then she would have been eight months pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The Sphinx lied either way. But we don't know enough about how old that recording is to know whose child it would have been. No. But yeah. I think it's, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably going to be Senlin's kid, right? Like that would add a whole nother level of. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely would. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It seems weird that she would get with like the, the Pell guy. And have a yeah. kid and be like totally okay with things like it was not recording. It's got to be someone's child. I don't know. That would be interesting either way, though, because it does you know, mention how many times she might have changed, you know, how many different people she could have been. That line where yeah. it's like, yeah, I've been a bookkeeper and a pirate and, uh, you know, such and yeah. such and such. Like, And he is now finally realized that he is like in love with edith but at the same time like maria's still there but it's been a year so he's trying to figure out like this is a lot of his internal conflict when okay. he's in the yeah. library so so can we get into this because this bugged me this is my biggest problem with the book okay i think i think look a year is not enough time to fall in la- fall out of love with your wife i don't think and like but they um, hadn't been together that long correct but well she hadn't he hadn't known her for a long time she was his pupil yeah Obviously that relationship is going to be different, right? Like hopefully he wasn't, you know, romantically interested in her while she was his pupil, but that's a lot of, that's still time to build up a love for Mm -hmm. someone, right? Like I've known my wife since middle school and I wasn't like in love with her that entire time since middle school. But I think that that time knowing her like definitely has increased the love that I have for her now, you know, okay. what I mean? than if I wouldn't have had that. So just kind of, it's not a one-to-one comparison. So a year, not long enough for Semlin to be going for Edith without like any kind of feelings. Cause does he, he doesn't necessarily like show any big feelings of guilt, right? Well, it happens right at the end. Well, he does. He does because he writes down in the, in his journal, like, I yeah. think Edith is very pretty. It is like, I feel terrible about this, but it's yes. true. And that was a really cool, the way that um, it described, I believe the line was, you know, aimless wandering like at night or such and such or such and such, like it actually mm-hmm. isn't aimless. It's actually a craving for something that 
you just don't want to admit to yourself or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I thought that that was so true. Like when you get up at night, like, is there any chance that you're not going to go get like a, like a bowl of ice cream or midnight snack or something? You know what I mean? Like you might uh-huh. deceive yourself. and like, Oh, I'm just going to go get a drink of water, but yeah, right. You're getting, you're getting that cereal right. or whatever you really want. Or to you kind know? of fit this theme. It's like when you send the, you still up text. Yeah. yeah. You know, we know <laughs> it. We all know what that is. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I did, I thought that captured, you know, I think Bancroft continues to do a wonderful job at capturing like real human emotion and, and tapping into that of stuff that yeah. regular people struggle to put into words. Yeah. But still, I think that like, um, there is still, in my opinion, it would be unethical and unmoral, immoral to go pursue this relationship when it has been only a year. I don't know what the cutoff would be, you know, of not knowing if your spouse is a wife, spouse is alive, how long that like cutoff yeah, is. Yeah. But like, I think it's longer than a year, you know, especially if you're still, if you actively like are pursuing them and like know that they are still have good information that they're still alive. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's my, maybe that's my near more Puritan, you know, like uh, upbringing and, sure, and sure. sensibilities speaking, but. And, and look, it is just a kiss, right? Like, yeah, maybe, not, maybe it it's a mistake. Maybe starting yeah. the third book, they're like, that was a mistake. Right. Like, which I hope kind of happens And it. But the, the other thing, the, the kind of bigger issue I have with it is throughout most of this book, I liked how they were friends. And I feel like in literature or in, in fantasy books in general, whenever there's like, a man and a woman that are like vaguely attracted together, they immediately like start a relationship. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I like that this was a departure from it. Like they were both kind of attra- attracted to each other and you knew that, but right. But you were they, hoping they it wouldn't things. go there. Yeah. I, I liked how there was like, maybe th- even if it was just this thing blocking them that they, they were, they weren't going to go there. I thought it showed like self-control, but also it, it created this more unique relationship between them of like uh-huh. respect and admiration and not just like a longing. So they were both coming out of very stressful, life-changing situations, right? Like Edith had just recovered from her new arm and she was feeling insecure about it. And obviously, you know, physically weak. Senlin comes out of his withdrawals. He's had lots of time to kind of think about life and let us know what he thinks about life. So maybe there's like something yeah. to that to kind of explain explain the situation i i guess i i don't think that this one kiss is like bad or it's not great but I, that's not my real issue my real uh, issue is if they their relationship just flips on a dime and now they're like yeah a thing you know which i i just hope that doesn't happen that's that's what I'm okay say. so i guess we table this for the third book and we see what yeah. happens maybe this kiss is just like overhanging everything showing that there is that like attraction and so it just mm-hmm. adds more attention to every scene that they're in together but it doesn't happen. I'm sure there's a ton of people that are going to ship, you know, Edith and Senlin and that are like, oh, screw Maria. We don't even know her. Like, just right, right. Go, go for Edith. Like, she she is a better fit for you now. And I, I can get with that. I can get that point. But in my head, I'm like, well, you still need to figure things out with Maria, you know? And the fact that she's still alive, like, if she was for sure dead, then you're like, oh, yeah, oh, okay, fine. a year has passed. Your spouse has died. Yeah. Or frankly, if he had already accepted like that she wasn't going to be a part of his life anymore and mm-hmm. been like, 
all right, well, I can't keep looking for her. Like, right. But their mission is to find her. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, go to Pelphia and find her is like yeah. what they're trying to do. And yeah, so it does seem weird. Yeah. yeah. If, if he had been like, and this isn't really his character, but if he had been saying, okay, well, I can't risk my life for my wife. It seems like she's pretty well set up in Pelphia and me trying to get to her would just be putting both of us in danger. So I'm going to let her live her life in Pelphia and I'm going to go mm. start my life wherever. Then that's one thing. Then that's like a different set of decisions. Sure. But that, you know, that's not where his head's at. So. Okay. So we'll see what happens right. in the third book. I, yeah. I feel like I'm going to get roasted for this take, but. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I mean, everyone wants to ship characters and books. You always want to see people get together. So I think, yeah, maybe some people might be unhappy with that, but I do think it is like a little bit of a, it's like a mature way to look at it. Like, is it really appropriate after a year and you're still looking for her? I can see some issues there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited to start the third book, I guess is it's where I'm at. Okay. Let's go back. We didn't talk a whole lot about the whole golden zoo silk garden thing. You kind of skipped over it when you were saying like what happened yeah, in the book. I, don't... I think it's important. Yeah. Okay. So that, that whole setting was, I felt like it was both, rushed and not well enough uh fleshed out i guess that's where i'm at like if if the if the golden zoo was going to be like a main part of the story i think it happened too fast and the fact that it wasn't so i felt like it either needed more time or not to be there or be there but it was probably time. about the same amount of time as we spent in some of our uh like the parlor setting for example probably even more time because it was it was like a fourth of the book the golden zoo yeah but the parlor the parlor felt more of an introduction to the tower. I know that that was the basement. I felt like I, in, in my reading of the first book, I just kind of grouped the basement and the parlor as like, okay, here's the introduction to the tower. Things aren't as they seem. Now okay. go and start, you know, figuring it out from there. But this was okay. like more towards kind of the middle of the book. And then it kind of mm-hmm. slowed down there. Anyway, what do, what do you think about it? I feel like yeah. I've spoken enough about it. I see what you mean a little bit. I th- I, I liked it. I thought it was a cool, it's just like this kind of dim cavernous setting. There's really not much going on. The one thing for me was I I didn't have a sense of how big it was because it was this whole layer of the tower, but they just went to like this very specific place. Like, is it just big enough where they found the place right away? Was the map suitable enough to get them there? Like it just seemed very convenient that they got exactly there. And I don't remember if the map was really what helped them do that or not. I guess we assume it it must have been, which is a decent enough explanation. I thought there were enough like different kind of unique things to occupy people's time. But then, yeah, I just didn't have the sense of like, this is a broader thing. It just seemed like a very small circle that they actually explored of a very large ringdom, I guess. Maybe that, I don't know, is that even a criticism? Just an observation? Yeah, you're right. Like, I didn't know if it was the size of a zoo or the size of like a forest, you know? Mm -hmm. I guess I got the sense that the whole place just extended. Like that whole layer of the tower was this dim cave with spiders and spider eaters and what else? Shipwrecks. Like that was just the whole thing. And they managed to find the the Hod encampment. Yeah, which I thought that part was cool. I did. I did enjoy the Hod encampment. But again, I felt like it was a little bit rushed. Like it didn't i don't know i think we're gonna we're gonna revisit it yeah. i think it's just an introduction to this conflict with yeah. marat so if, if that's the case then then great 
But again, this is why I'm going back to like, I feel like if things were this rushed, then it could have been incorporated. Like the second, third book might've been able to go into, you know, a single, mm. single book. I feel like a lot of these things, like they could have skipped the golden zoo and spent more time with the hods. I mean, I like the idea of we're introducing it here and then we're leaving it because we don't have the resources to deal with it now. Then they make it to the Sphinx and they, now they have, you know, they'll probably revisit it to some extent. Yeah. 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 But I, I mean, I think what we're coming to is that the plot wasn't necessarily the reason why we love the books. Like we said, it's about the characters and the settings. Maybe the Golden Zoo setting was like not quite as cool as some of the other settings. But at the same time, like it's still every setting managed to really conjure up a nice visual for me. And whenever I'm reading something and I can visualize it really well, I always take that as a sign that's really well written because sometimes I struggle with that and I just like skim through things and I'm like, eh, not really sure exactly what that looked like. But that's not been the case at all in this series. I can visualize everything really well. Now we know why Wheel of Time is your favorite series. <laughs> well, I mean, every single different uh every single different place and culture has a different unique feel to it it's awesome i know um but yeah so those those part of the books were were fine i felt like it dragged a little bit throughout throughout the middle part there even though we had like the different points of view and each character was kind of like doing something that seemed kind of important yeah i'm not saying that that didn't happen yeah but i i i don't know i did think the the parts with iren and adam when they were like investigating the shipwreck and the sp- the spiders came and attacked them, like that did just kind of seem like filler. Yeah, and, and it just it set up that whole other you know subplot for Adam that mm-hmm. it seems like is going to be a large part of the third book. Which yeah, again, we'll see we'll see how that goes. And it might have been the way I read it. Honestly, I I took a break after the first part after part one and I read another nonfiction book because I, I feel like I've been reading a lot of fiction lately. So I read a whole other book and then came back to it. So maybe that's why it felt like it dragged on a little bit, but okay. yeah, that was my, yeah, that was my impression of it. I liked it. I think it'll be interesting, but maybe what we're saying is that a lot of things in book two, we are like tentatively saying an opinion, but we're waiting for book three and possibly book four to know exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else about, I mean, Marat, the Hods, like what do we think is going on here? Yeah. So I, I think it was cool to have this, um, this whole group of people that seemingly, I mean, we don't know the whole story, right. But it's presented to us. Like they're trying to redact all this knowledge and Mm -hmm. maybe go back to this place where they have the power because they are, you know, pushing it back to more of a primitive mindset is yes the takeaway i got right like the sphinx has the technology they don't have technology but they maybe have numbers yeah this whole there's a lot of like little themes throughout that are touched on i remember there's something the sphinx says again i don't remember who she says it to but the line was something like the brilliant man's invention becomes the common man's like plaything something like that Yeah. yeah yeah because they don't know how to use it right whatever yeah very true like who knows how a cell phone works i don't know but i use it all day (laughs) yeah yeah but even more than that like if you think about how much power like a you know ti-89 calculator has like you can pretty much like do most anything mathematically possible on it yet 99 Mm -hmm. percent of its use is like 
48 plus 62 equals, you know, like, right. That's right. what, that's what most people use it for. When, right. Yeah. But Harry Selden can solve the whole, uh, yeah. you know, next can, thousand years of predictions using only 30, a calculator. 30,000 years, 30,000 years. Okay. Yeah. Only a calculator. That's all it takes to be a, uh, what's it called again? Hista. So, yeah. Oh gosh. We're watching foundation right now, but can't remember the name of these people, the foundation people. Yeah. Dang. That's bothering me. Too. Let us know. Let us know in the comments what that field of people science. Of yeah. Yeah. Anyway, how did we get to the psycho historians? Okay. Okay. Psycho historians. Yes. All it takes to be a psycho historian is a TI 89 calculator. I guess you have to have read the foundation books to understand that because the TV show, it looks different. Yeah. Fair. It's much cooler in the TV show. Yes, it is. Okay, so that happens. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know if we know a whole lot about what the Hods are doing. It, I don't know. It seems maybe a little ambitious to me to think that their small group of Hods is going to accomplish this goal, if that really is their goal, of just like striking out knowledge and assuming power, because they don't have that many Hods, do they? Well, it seemed like they had a lot. Like walking through, yeah. I, I was kind of surprised, because it seemed like maybe in the tower in the first book it seemed like hods were more rare you know it was like a really big deal until maybe became uh-huh. a hod and then now we're just being exposed to more and more hods well i think if they could access all of the hods like if they could <laughs> there's a good uh stormlight thing here but um maybe we shouldn't spoil that yeah, you know no what i'm talking spoilers. about can't say that i do really Th- think of like the servitile type things going on in stormlight Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know yeah. Okay. Yeah. If there's just a, yeah. Okay. I don't, yeah. It's easy to spoil. You don't want to. Spoil. Right. Right. Yeah. But so, so they don't have very many hods right now. Like they say, they're turning away hods. They can't take them all. They're like that one hod that they killed and buried because yeah. he didn't, he wasn't willing to fall in line with them. So I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like they really have the numbers but maybe they like see the tower is rotten and they're like, okay, we only have to overthrow, you know, like the 1% and we've got it. Something like that. I thought it was funny. Cause I'm like, man, if you just, if you were just getting random books in our world today and just blotting out all the numbers, I'm like, you're either going to get a lot of Bibles, a lot of Harry Potter books. And that's pretty much like 80% of what you're <laughs> like crossing out. If you're just to go out and like steal books from people's homes. You think 80% of books are either no, Harry not 80, Potter or not the Bible? Not 80%, but like of books that people are gr- carrying around with them and you just like stop them and steal their books or like okay. go. And I don't know, probably in most people's houses, like if they own books, it's probably going to be the Harry Potter books <laughs> slash like maybe a religious yeah, text. Yeah, that's okay. That's fair. Meanwhile, they're, I mean, they're blotting out probably a lot of copies of the Everyman's Guide. Right. I wonder if they'll ever, like the Hods will invade the library and start just blotting everything out, the Sphinx's library. I did think that that was a really cool contrast because the thing with the Sphinx is it's not like he is using this library for the good of the tower. He's more using it for his own, almost like preventing knowledge from escaping his control, right? Like he's not lending his books out like a library would lend he is hoarding them like a yeah, dragon. Which is another line from, it talks about like um, the, like the merit of a library should not be how many books they have because they could just be stacked up. It's about like the circulation that yeah. happens with the books. Right. So I thought yeah. that was cool. And I think it also yeah, shows a deeper point of like how, how different is Marat versus the Sphinx 
if like, yeah, that Marat's like destroying books and I'm not condoning that, but mm-hmm. is what the Sphinx is doing really any better? Just hoarding all the knowledge for himself. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we need to add a fourth thing to the reasons why we really love these books, setting characters. What was the third thing? Pros. And <laughs> the fourth thing I'm going to say are themes. I think there's a lot of really cool themes and maybe they're, there's like so many of them that they're not all explored super in depth, but there's, there's a lot of really like pretty deep, interesting ideas that are just scattered throughout the, the books that make it worth. Yeah. Maybe philosophy slash things. Yeah, sure. Like just one sure. line philosophical, you know, ponderings and yeah. Then that makes you think for yeah. like kind of distracts you from the next five pages, which not a lot happens. You're still thinking about right. that. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive that you as an author could, you know, get that many like interesting things in. I feel like authors try to do this, but not everything they try to do is necessarily as interesting. Bancroft does a really good job of, of really kind of getting some real world interesting ideas that uh, maybe, yeah. I feel like they're only interesting if you haven't thought about them enough. So yeah. nicely done. Aber- yeah. Abercrombie does this a lot too, where he'll just throw in something pretty profound mm-hmm. that is within the character to say. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, what the heck? A second ago, we were like going through and killing a bunch of people and now we're doing profound stuff. Yeah. Okay. So should we talk about the Sphinx a little bit? I mean, we did. We did already. The thing, I feel like the thing we haven't talked about enough are individual characters and the whole Adam plotline. Let's do the Adam plotline. So when he goes up to the top of the tower with the sparkling or sparking men, if you're not Valletta, um, and and they know him. Like, this is really creepy and weird, but also really intriguing. He's from the story. Yeah, what is like? But is Edith this... isn't part of the story. Yeah, that yeah. Was... yeah. Is it just all know. a simulation around Adam? What's going on? <laughs> it's the Truman Show, but Adam. <laughs> I don't know. What What do you think? I'm going to toss this back to you. What do you think about it? I really don't know what to make of this, especially because it seems like the conflict the, the Sphinx should be having some conflict with the people on top of the tower. We know almost nothing about these people other than they have technology and they're really rich and they seem connected to the Sphinx. Maybe this is like another offshoot of the bricklayer or something, but I have zero idea why Adam is the subject. Like how? Yeah. I have no idea. I thanks for tossing it back. I got nothing. Okay. Adam in general, I kind of feel like it's one step back, two steps forward, one step backward with his character where he'll um, grow and learn and then revert back to how he was before a little bit which Mm -hmm. is how it felt in the first book too and even and even with this book it felt like he wanted wanted uh tom or sendland's approval but then like didn't care about it but then still wanted it and then you know it just kind of goes back and forth of how devoted he really is slash how much he wants forgiveness for betraying him and same thing with his sister you know does he just feel protective of her or does he also um feel like he you know, can let her be her own person and that he needs to find his duty in life. You know, I feel like these are the the same things that he keeps thinking about and I enjoyed it, but it's not like the main, I didn't love it. He hasn't really progressed. Like you feel like this book just kind of solidified. Yeah. He was, but without a lot of progression. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think we need time to solidify some of these things because the crew wasn't necessarily on page that much in the first book other than there was a lot of edith obviously a lot of of senlin some of the others but not a whole lot like we got a lot more 
character solidification in this book. I, so I thought it was fine, but yeah, I'm with you. The, especially Adam, he didn't grow very much. Yeah, Aren grew some, although it was just kind of uh, almost sad for her. Like she seems to be falling apart a bit. Yeah, I, I thought that that was cool that she got her like mother, you know, it made her into more of like a mother bear type figure, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to do anything to protect my cubs, you yeah. know, and um, so that was cool. And I, I did think it was cool that Adam uh, distracted the ant eater or the spider eater from right. taking down Aaron. Like that was, a, that was pretty cool for his character. He, you know, yeah, that's not something yeah. he would have done in the first book. So there is some growth with him and that, but again, that, that same scene was interesting with Aaron, like totally doing something that she knew she shouldn't have done because mm-hmm. like you said, she's a little bit falling apart. Not, she's not as sharp as she is. Yeah. We saw her, her humanity a lot yeah. which is and yet yeah, by the end she was like pleading with the sphinx to do something to her to kind of restore the the control over life that she's always had the power that she's always had like that's her that's her core of her personality of who she is now she's losing it as she gets older and she's like what, what do i do and she's willing to she probably would have made whatever bargain the sphinx wanted unfortunately but it sounds like there really was nothing that sphinx could have done yeah, yeah. i I was kind of worried that they were going to, and I want to be careful with how I talk about this, but I was worried that it was going to imply that she had some sort of like, like learning disability that needs to be fixed or something like that, that the Sphinx was going to be able to somehow fix. Mm-hmm. And I, it kind of, when I thought it might be that I was like, Oh, this is kind of problematic. You know what I mean? Right. But it didn't go that direction. So I guess yeah, I, was, yeah. I, I was relieved about that. But I was I was worried that I was going to be like, okay, here's this, you know, maybe person that's a little bit lower. No, presented yeah, totally. as lower intelligence that, you know, but no, it was like, okay, she's going through these changes, which again, it, it was interesting because she never had been educated about, you know, what do they call it? And what do they call it? Pause in this book. They call it like uh, uh, cessation. Cessation, yeah. 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 But like she was never taught basic things about like her body like that she would be going through menopause you know mm-hmm. so I, I think that that did add some to her character about how yeah. not sheltered but how kind of in an abused situation she was mm-hmm. um that she didn't know that that would be something that would happen i thought that was cool and i had yeah. maybe pictured her as younger than that maybe in her like 30s or 40s yeah I don't, it's like she's like 55 yeah i don't think i pictured that she's necessarily that old through the first book either but maybe that's kind of the point because she seems so capable yeah. like we had no idea that she was really that old yeah yeah i'm with you on the whole like i could go on a rant about this like being disabled like if there are characters in a book and they're disabled be it mentally physically whatever and you're just gonna say like this character's arc is to be better like to be healed of this thing and like that's their ultimate journey like that's really bad don't do that as an author so uh, yeah, I'm with you. There's some yeah. there's some examples from like books that I really like where they do this and it really kind of ticked me off. Fair. Well, yeah, I was I was relieved that, that that's not the path that they went. Okay. Um, what else do we have to kind of wrap up here? I feel like what Valletta, I guess we didn't talk about Valletta's eh, gosh. Should we do worst of the best now? Because this is my okay, worst yes. of the best. <laughs> worst of okay, the best. let's let's go to the worst of the best segment. So we do this in fun. We don't want to be overly critical of books, but uh, we are going to point out a part of the book that we really like, but then like one thing about it that wasn't necessarily our favorite. So 
segment starts now. The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess. The stain on the satin. And the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. My thing was, so Valletta, we talked about the characters are one of the high points of the books. And I think that's true, except for her. I was just always confused with her character. I didn't know if this was Lyft from Stormlight Archive or if this was actually an 18 year old girl. Like she just seems so immature, but at the same time, she's not because she's gone through like Rodeon and the steam pipe and everything. And she's very much like aware of the evils out there in the world, but she doesn't really ever seem like she's actually mature I, don't, I just don't know what to make of her character like is she eight years old is she 30 years old with lots of experience is she really this 18 year old girl I, I don't know I, I struggled with her yeah it seems like at some point she was meant to be kind of like a Ren oh wait Ray from the new Star Wars trilogy where like okay she okay she's like this girl that grew up grew up and you know a terrible situation that has is now using her abilities that she learned from climbing through ships to be a great Jedi. You know what I mean? Like that's okay. kind of what I felt like it was going to be like, okay, now she's like an acrobat and she's going to use these all, yeah. you know, to be the best fighter or just to be kind of a Mary Sue, but no, okay. she just kind of takes a, a step backward in some ways. Um, or maybe just you learn more about her and, and her character isn't what we, I thought it would be. She's easily tricked by the Sphinx. Uh, yeah, not a big fan of the character. I mean, I guess the character makes sense to some degree, but maybe we're hoping for more capability in a character. I feel like characters need to have some level of, like, this character can do things. And I guess she's good at being an acrobat, but... And she, well, she also maybe is guileless in some ways. Like, she she really befriended the Sphinx. yeah. And like, she also I, saved them in the Silk Gardens where she was able to just like infiltrate right in. And, and at that time she did realize that bad stuff was going on. So maybe I'm not giving her enough credit. Yeah. But she also blew it on the lookout duty. This, uh, 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 my worst of the best. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, leads right in. So my worst of the best was again that whole that whole Ararat. Yeah. Yeah, that whole interaction with one, her just completely blowing it, dropping the ball and being distracted by a squirrel, which needed more screen time. That squirrel, I, I was a fan of that squirrel. Squirt. Um, I think squirt. it was the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Um, but not only that, but again, that whole that whole scene, it goes back to my worst of the best from the first one is that I felt like it was set up to be super cinematic with like these this airship battle and, you know, like this maneuver of them plummeting towards the ground. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, maybe it was because it was towards the beginning of the book. There just wasn't that much tension in there for me. Like, I, I didn't think that they would all die. You know, of course, I didn't think that. But do you I need guess, the, do you need them all possibly no, dying? To be- I didn't. No, but there I, I wanted there to be more stakes 
than there were um at that at that moment well i mean i feel like their ship being pulled along the ground by a, a train and probably going to be i mean the, the ship was I, I felt like that was the stake right if if the stone Losing cloud the was going to be destroyed yeah and get captured by the commissioner and yeah and all that. yeah i don't know again i just maybe this that scene just fell a little flat for me um not super critical of it but i felt like that could have been like a really big um highlight of the book because that was kind of what the whole calm that whole sequence of the book was culminating to mm-hmm. was that altercation and then, i liked it okay i i felt like it was cool where he blew apart the cabin and he and he hooked onto the train and the train pulled him away and then they were able to uh you know finally blow the ballast i think is the yeah. technical term yeah yeah i'm learning terms of airships or probably regular ships. Actually, I have no idea. I don't know anything I, about. I think there's a ballast in the hot air balloon too. But okay. Yeah, this is something that I'm uh, being educated on in my steampunk fantasy. Anyway, so I, I thought that I thought it was fun and it was exciting and it was interesting the way that they use like the nobleman's perspective to try to like spice it up a bit to not just have it be too fatiguing going through like an endless battle. Like there there was a lot of kind of back and forth. So I like that. I think maybe the only thing that I'll give you on that is it did feel like the rat kind of came out of nowhere. Like we knew the threat of it was looming, but then, well, is that even fair? I don't know. It just, it, it did seem kind of like a sudden climax. We'll say like all of a sudden it's here and we're fighting for our lives. All right. You're rejecting my worst of the best. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, we really, like we say, we really yeah. like this book. I think we liked it for some specific reasons. There were some other things that were not bad parts of the book by any means, but at the same time, we're like, eh, you know, this could have been a little bit better. So what was, what, if you had to give it a rating, what, what would you say? Mm, I think I gave the first book 8.5 out of 10. No, you gave it, I gave it 8.5. You gave it an eight. I gave no, it, you gave eight? it an eight point. Yeah. You gave it an eight. Okay. I'm going to go right. a half point lower than I'll go 7.5. Ah, oh, dang it. That's what I was going to go. Okay. Well, we're, we, agree. we agree. 7.5. Yeah, I think it was a bigger drop for me because I gave the first one an 8.5. But mm. I like this book. Yeah. And it was not disappointing in the least. Um, I, I'm excited to continue on with the series. And I think parts of it, it's a little bit of an incomplete grade because it was a lot of setup for the third yeah. book and probably into the fourth book. So maybe if we have you know the complete story, we might look back at the second book and I'm assuming it'll be like, oh, you know, that's what he was trying to do there. And, and some of these things that we were critical of, we could probably justify a bit more. Yeah. So yeah, we, you know, after reading a second book, if you're still excited to, con- excited to continue reading the series, I feel like the second book has done a really good job. Second books are hard. It's always kind of like yeah. that bridge between the awesome start and where you're trying to go. So we're both excited to continue reading into book three and book four. So yeah, success. Awesome. Okay. And by the way, uh, we didn't mention this, but... In the first review, I said that the red oh. hand was still alive <laughs> and the red hand is still alive. So give me that. You are right, Stephen. I will give you that. That Come is on. that you you nailed it. Character dies off screen. You don't know what happened. He's definitely still alive. And in fact, he is still alive. So All right. props it. to props to me. Props gotta, to you, Stephen. Yep. Got Ontology guarantee checked off. Phantology guarantee, yeah, actually happened. Actually happened. 
Well, what's your fan? Okay. All right. Well, you, you just tuned your own heart. So another fantology guarantee. What's going to, what's going to happen? Uh, well, obviously I cannot make a guarantee about the whole Adam plotline because I think it's really intriguing and awesome, but I don't know what's going to happen there. So the guarantee we have for this episode is going to be mm, maybe around, around Maria or yeah. Help me, help me with something I interesting that we could get. Ontology guarantee. Okay. Tower is a spaceship. Some might recognize that from a callback from uh, our early videos about another book series about another tower being a spaceship. No, what, what, which one remind me. Uh, it's a spoiler for it's a spoiler and series that didn't oh. end up happening, oh. but I, it, it's a very okay. general spoiler, okay. but I don't yeah, want to spoil yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we guaranteed that. That was something we guaranteed. I think Ben guaranteed that. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's a poor guarantee. <laughs> Not on this one. Well, Tower I mean, with, with, with hindsight, having now read more books in the series that you're referring to, it seems like a very poor guarantee. I don't know. Maybe it could have happened. Sanderson, anything's on the table. So um, what I do think though, is that maybe they were trying to, I don't know how the physics of this works at all. I'm probably just completely wrong on this, but maybe they were trying to build the tower high enough so that they could blast off ships into the like stratosphere without needing mm. as much fuel. Like they're okay. trying to build high enough that the air would be thinner. And uh, you know, I, I mean, with the, terrible myth of the tower, of, like the biblical tower of Babel, they were trying to go up high enough to, like get to heaven right yeah so. but but maybe they right but it seems like they have a little bit more of a sciencey understanding of like the mm-hmm. sky right so maybe mm-hmm. they're actually thinking that if they can get high enough then this space then the they can you know kind of like weather balloons can go all the way up into space right like so maybe they're sure. thinking okay well if we can get high enough then we can send off these spacecraft into yeah space. we could blast off satellites and yeah yeah I guess that is still the question. What was the bricklayer actually trying to accomplish? What was his end game? We don't know. Maybe the Sphinx does. Maybe, do we know? Or did I just miss it? I don't know. I, I feel like that was all kind of, it was, it was unclear, but it was unclear in a good way. So there are probably enough clues where I could be picking up more, but having just finished the book, I've not done that. So maybe I'll just read on to book three in bliss, in ignorant bliss, and then be surprised by whatever the twist is. That's what I do. All right. Thanks for listening. Again, if you are watching on YouTube, comment, subscribe, and comment. If you're listening on the podcast, go to our YouTube channel and then subscribe and comment. And when you comment, you'll be entered into the competition to win a free Audible credit, which we will have a drawing for at the end of October 2021. I guess uh, if you're if you're going way back into the archives for this you're one, you're from then, the future. Uh, yeah, if you're from the well. Uh, Anyone we talk to right now is from the future. Steven. Don't go too right. philosophical. All right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of philosophy in this one. You're no Josiah Bancroft, Steven. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. Thanks for listening. Before we go too deep, uh, let's sign off. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Steven.